the daily podcast from St Paul's Knightsbridge, an invitation to pause for not more than 10 minutes each day to think, to reflect and to pray. This week, as the Church finishes the week of prayer for Christian unity, we reflect together on notions of unity as God's gift and God's will. I had no idea as a child when I learned, along with my classmates, to sing about how the knee bone was connected to the shin bone and so on, either that the song was called Damn Bones, still less that its authors, James Weldon Johnson and his brother Rosamond, had found their inspiration in a vision from the book of the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, you will remember, the prophet surveys a valley of dry bones, a passage we read each year at the Easter Vigil. So when in Sunday school I encountered St Paul's image of our being the body of Christ, and even more so when I heard in 1 Corinthians 12 that amazing flight of his imagination where he points out how impossible it is for the eye to say to the hand, I don't need you, or for the head to say to the feet, I don't need you, this image of a single body with interconnected and interdependent parts struck a chord. As Paul says, there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. At around the same age, I remember receiving for Christmas a game, which, who knows, perhaps you also remember, called Operation which, with the help of a battery and a buzzer, tested players' hand-eye coordination. If you were a clumsy doctor and strayed too near the edge of the opening on the board as you removed whatever part of the body you had to, the buzzer sounded and the patient's nose lit up, and you ceded your turn to the next person. Taken together, these experiences of St Paul's story and the Operation board game resulted in my internalising at a tender age a rather functional and mechanistic view of how our bodies are, the one bit connected to another, and that somehow the effective functioning of the whole depended on the parts doing their bit. When we think about Christian unity as we have been this past week, this functional idea of interdependence is one of the ways in which we articulate unity's desirability. We should pray for unity, we think, because unless we do so, the whole body will not work together as it should. How can the church be the one church unless it is united and functioning well? And it's a powerful, a vivid and a compelling image and its use in the week of prayer for Christian unity is frequent. But there is another compelling image, which moves us beyond consideration of the merely functional into something more spiritual and ultimately mystical. And that is the image found in St John's Gospel of the vine. I am the true vine, says Jesus, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is one of the I am sayings, so called, that characterise this fourth gospel. Elsewhere you'll remember Jesus says, I am the door, or I am the good shepherd, or I am the bread that is come down from heaven. What is interesting about this image of the vine, though, is that it has always seemed to me that it is not a functional thing. It is actually far more complex. Yes, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, and of course the branch cannot exist without the vine. But Jesus doesn't say, I am the trunk and you are the branches. Rather, he is the whole vine and we are part of the vine. The vine is independent of us. This is not a functional or utility-based model. It is a profoundly relational image. Hidden in the passage about the vine is a word, a phrase, that is, in fact, a major theme in the fourth gospel. Jesus says, remain in me. The Greek verb is meno, to remain. We sometimes translate it abide. Used in relation to a place, this verb means to sojourn or to tarry, not to leave. But when it's used by the author of the fourth gospel, it means something figurative, to be held perhaps, or kept continually not being let go of, or, to make it less directional, to hold with or to wait with. What does this mean? Well, we can't simply define it. But we can notice that Jesus speaks of this indwelling, being part of the mystery of the love and relationship of the Father and the Son. And so, too, it seems, in the relationship between Jesus and the disciples. The end of all this is that we simply should be with Jesus and remain with Jesus, because in this way we share in the love he knows, which is divine love. What is Christian unity for? Well, a utilitarian view might say it is to make the whole church more effective in doing the work of the kingdom. That's a line of thinking that would not be out of place in a systems review or organisational efficiency consultancy scenario. But what if the primary consideration isn't so much what is unity for, so much as the simple recognition that non-negotiably it just is because without it we cannot be in true relationship with God and by extension with one another. For the philosophically inclined this is less a functional argument than an ontological one. What does it mean to remain, to abide in well, whatever our outward circumstances in a turbulent world, this has surely something to do with an interior disposition, 
an attitude of openness, awareness and prayerful connection. And perhaps long before any consideration of the functional, that is what is Christian unity for, it is in this attitudinal shift that the work of Christian unity begins. How much time have you spent just dwelling in, being with, abiding in Christ? And what better thing to strive to do could there possibly be in this lockdown? And that brings to an end our consideration of Christian unity for this week and next week as ordinary time returns we'll be considering how we approach the ordinary.